Hello and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? It's been a while, uh, had a little break here, been busy with things. I'm back with an article, podcast episode called Goodbye Dawkins, Hitchens, Pinker, Airman et al. And you might recognize all those names as famous atheists of the last 20 years, the new atheists, um, enlightenment evangelists, and so on. Um, the subtitle of this one is I'm Struggling With My Atheism. I've talking about, talked about this in the past on this show, but um, I wanted to talk more specifically about it. So let's get started. When I was falling away from the faith, I thought Richard Dawkins was interesting. I recall the time I saw Dawkins speak at a bookstore. It was Powell's in Portland, Oregon, a really great bookstore in the heart of Portland, Oregon. And at the time, I thought Richard Dawkins was cool. I liked how he was undermining the new Pharisees of the modern age and sowing discord among the Christian hypocrites as I had yet to realize that we're all sinners. But in watching and listening to Dawkins that night, it dawned on me after only about 10 minutes how miserable he seemed, even in his arguments. The smugness filled the room. In contrast, I thought of my grandmother with her rosary and the joy in her that she brought to her family. I thought of other people I knew who had faith in their families. I thought of the billions of people in this world who found hope in faith, and not just Christians, but uh, Muslims, Jews, etc. Um, and Dawkins' uninspiring message made me leave that talk feeling really empty, um, the opposite of how I felt around my grandmother and other Christians. Um, I entered the room that night as a Dawkins fan, only to leave um, repulsed by his message, really. And that was uh, kind of a signal to me that there was something not quite right about it. Now, with that said, I am actually grateful for Richard Dawkins, because without pure materialists like him, I may never have come back to the faith. It was like uh, a prescribed burn in a field. If you've ever been driving somewhere and you see people standing out in a field and they're burning a field, it's called a prescribed or proscribed burn. I guess I don't know if it's prescribed or proscribed, but in any case, they're clearing the weeds. Um, and they'll do this uh, in a managed kind of way to burn everything off so that new life can spring forth. And I do believe that is what's happening today in the wider world. We're having a kind of burning off of the weeds so new something new can come, come forward. Uh, Richard Dawkins is only one who really puts all his chips in the middle and lays his cards on the table. And, you know, I actually kind of appreciate that about him. Um, atheists don't buy the bluff that much of postmodernism is selling today. He, would, he rejects transgenderism, and he also rejects uh, Baal, the storm god, or Zeus, in the same breath, um, as do Catholics, oddly enough. There's a lot of common ground, it's, it turns out, um, if you look close enough at some of the things they believe, because Catholics don't believe in superstition either, and that's directly from the catechism. So that doesn't mean there aren't Catholics that do act like they believe in it, but it's not supposed to happen. Um, Richard Dawkins even knows that deists, deists uh, who just believe in kind of a distant God, creator, clockmaker God, that they're just hedging their bets too on a bad hand. So the only card player left for atheists like uh, Bart Ehrman or Richard Dawkins or Pinker um, to play against is those who believe in the one God, the God most high, the living God. 
the interesting thing about atheists is that they are they're closer to coming back to belief in the one God than they ever realize or would ever care to admit because they've seen through all the smoke and mirrors of the meaningless and dead gods. Uh, they are actually are closer to understanding the God who sits outside of time and space, the eternal God who created time and space, than they realize because they reject all of the nonsense and cling ultimately to mathematics. Um, a fascinating thing about Stephen Hawking is late in his life, he came to see time all, pretty much identically to how St. Augustine did. And I, that's really an interesting development in his last book, uh, that St. Augustine and Stephen Hawking on the same page. Fascinating. 1,600 years apart. Anyway, so however, I see this as a long process of preparing a seedbed for faith. When I talk about the prescribed burn, um, that's what you'll off, they'll often do to bring forth the seeds that they want to grow, not these uh, giant ragweed and other bad weeds that are just kind of nuisances. Um, because I don't think many modern atheists have read, say, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I don't think many modern atheists have read a study Bible like that, like the one from Ignatius Press or Word on Fire uh, or the Didache Bible. Um, I don't think, I think very few people today have read St. Augustine's Confessions or The Imitation of Christ um, outside of religious circles. Those books are very kind of tucked away, not talked about as if they are no longer classics. And it's funny because we'll have to read plenty of Shakespeare, but never St. Augustine's Confessions in school, which is probably one of the, I, I would say, far more interesting um, than Shakespeare, really, because it applies to life a great deal more. Um, and a lot of modern atheists certainly have not read something like Veritatis Splendor, The Splendor of Truth, which was by Pope John Paul II, or another famous one, Fides et Ratio, which is Faith and Reason, also by John Paul II, or something that is more well-known like Dignitatis Humanae um, on the Dignity of Human Beings. But if they ever did, they would find that the God we believe in in the Catholic faith is logical, beautiful, and bigger than anything we can ever imagine in creation. But of course, that revelation of a living God comes only by cooperation with God's grace, which is always ready and waiting on a zero-interest loan for those who simply ask, seek, and knock. That's all it takes. The beauty of the church is that you get to keep your reason, all of it, and faith makes it soar higher. The two wings. The two wings that make us fly, faith and reason. Now, Richard Dawkins just says what many have been thinking all along, which is this. That God doesn't matter. Thomas Jefferson, he went halfway. He, he was a deist. But Dawkins just comes out and, as openly apostate. And he has lots of, uh, he spawned lots of other underlings who have their own shows. Like uh, the Friendly Atheist and, and um, I think it's Alex O'Connor and a few others. You know, many others, I should say. Um, you know, Dawkins is just saying that the emperor has no clothes. So he is also uh, like the emperor Napoleon uh, when an officer suggested once to him that God willing, they would take Brussels in the morning. And Napoleon allegedly said back to him, God, God has nothing to do with it. Um, that's the same answer that Dawkins gives. To, to Richard Dawkins, there's no God or gods, living or otherwise, outside of our brains. Hence, uh, Dawkins believes he's raised the weeds and prepped the soil for coming back to what Abraham and the apostles and St. Agnes meant by God. Um, 
So I, like I said, I kind of like Richard Dawkins. I just find the message very empty. And here's the other thing. Dawkins' grand bet on the selfish gene, that was one of his famous books, The Selfish Gene, it goes too far. Why he goes too far is he's all in with all the answers. There's really no mystery whatsoever. But he left out of his equation an important variable. He fails to solve for why, as in, why are we here? That is the problem with this worldview, because in a world without meaning, without God, you have to live in that world, and of course you have to invent that meaning. And so does everyone else, and everyone else is not necessarily an educated PhD, like Dawkins and others, who can spend a lifetime inspecting in all corners of science and history and psychology and all of these other um, fields of study. Everyone else lacks the funds and leisure time <clears throat> to find that meaning, to, to dig and dig and dig and look and look and look. Everyone else, for the most part, in the end, has to rely on what someone says is true. So I take it on faith that germs cause disease and not fairies, even though I've never actually saw either of them infect a person. Um, Dawkins and company can win arguments about how the world works, but what they cannot win an argument about is why a sunset is beautiful or why babies um, you know, uh, are, change people's lives, um, how people have complete turns of their life when they find God. There's many, many things. Why is literature amazing? Uh, why does music make us cry? All of those things. So when there is no satisfactory ultimate why, people spend a lifetime searching for that variable. In the end, what the world without a living God results in is someone else taking control by force and dictating that the value of why must be what they say it is simply because they said so. And we're getting kind of into that in some things in this world today. It's uh, been with us since the beginning, since the fall, you could say. So, so even though I'm not a Richard Dawkins fans, uh, a fan of his, at least he isn't hedging his bets. He's all in. And I think deniers like him are closer to finding God than the builders of the Tower of Babel or deists like Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin ever were. Having the door half open to God is like letting the heat out of the house in winter. At some point, you have to make up your mind to go outside or stay inside. And this makes me realize truly that we should pray for Richard Dawkins. He may end up bringing more people back to faith in God than we could have ever realized. Uh, he's almost at the top of the circle, since when we run away from God, we often find ourselves right, running right into the arms of God. I would actually say Richard Dawkins is a strange kind of evangelist because he's cutting all the fluff and garbage and, and bad sales pitches out of the way. So you're basically left with atheism or faith, um, which, is, which is great because uh, eventually one of them makes a lot more sense. But it takes a while for people. It took a while for me. Today, we are witnessing the outcome of what happens when the ideas of uh, Richard Dawkins and, and the Enlightenment of Pinker, he's a huge um, Enlightenment apologist, are taken to the logical end. The reason Dawkins is wrong is that he doesn't understand what the builders of the Tower of Babel and deists like Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson understood really well. Or you could say Julius Caesar uh, or Caesar Augustus. Um, most kings understood this far better than Dawkins. Um, they didn't operate on pure intellect alone. So uh, the ancient emperors from history and the American founders knew that people needed religion, especially John Adams actually was very um, pointed about saying that. 
And he knew, and they, they all knew that to pull that rug out from society would cause the city itself to collapse. And now we are seeing all these funny religions pop up because we pretend we don't need one at all, but we all have one. In fact, everyone has one, whether they think they do or not. Uh, the root problem for Dawkins is that he has a, I, I'm sorry, but he has a middle school concept of God that he never outgrew. Uh, I had that. Um, I think it's a high school thing. Maybe it's a middle school, high school, college thing. He's, he's also operating as an autonomous speaker of, quote, his truth without a plan or concept of how to organize a world or really live in it. He doesn't have any employees or mouths to feed or an economy to plan. Um, you know, he's got enough for himself and, and just his little circle. And that's great. Um, and he has no hope to offer to anyone else. So in this walled-in academic world where the idea of no soul, like you live without a soul, where that exists, Dawkins fails to realize something rather large. His theory of the selfish gene starts from the bottom instead of the top, and therefore he cannot describe the whole. His answer is, because of genes. Because of genes, that's why everything is the way it is. It's too simple. It's like every other heresy. It starts with some... Um, answer, and then it works backward to fit the world into it. A toe, my big toe, does not describe the wholeness of my person any more than a gene does, and genes cannot explain the totality of human nature. Like, I can't show you a picture of Richard Dawkins' big toe, and, and that explains everything about him. That doesn't make any sense. Dawkins is so smart. He's so smart, but he can't understand what simple farmers and mothers and the poor with no education understand perfectly well. You would think an evolutionary biologist would be very equipped to understand the parable of the grain of wheat that Jesus tells, but somehow he misses it completely. And I actually find this to be a marvelous irony. He has more biological training of anyone. He should understand the grain of wheat, but his is all in the, the clean academy. It's not someone living in the world actually growing wheat. Um, it's, it's this separation of body and soul um, reason and faith. And we need religion. This is, this is not really a radical thing to say. People need religion or they will find one. In fact, Dawkins has one. It's all the, it's in education. It's in, uh, achievements. It's in PhDs. It's in science. It's called scientism because it's an ideology. Um, and the religion we all find, it won't be what you expect. Uh, you, may, you may think you don't have rituals, but then you're standing outside of a uh, NFL football game for three hours uh, in the cold, cooking and eating, and then you go into the game. You have your rituals. Um, it's basically you can look at what do you do uh, in your life. Uh, what, what do you do on a regular basis? That's kind of what your religion is. It's not kind of, I shouldn't say it's kind of what your religion It is what your religion is. So in the clean and childless world of a university, ideas sound good that lack depth. This happens a lot, and it's happened a lot in the last 200 years. Dawkins' answer is from the atomic layer, and he emerges from a quiet library to tell us that we are nothing but atoms. Meanwhile, the bustle of the street doesn't hear a word he said because life is happening far beyond the atomic layer. When Dawkins burst forth from his library, he was telling a very different message from what the apostles told when they emerged from the upper room at Pentecost, after having received the breath of life, touched by tongues of fire. No, when Dawkins and his disciples emerged in their lab coats to tell us the good news, their message was that 
respiration is a selfish act to propagate our genes and that there is no meaning to any of it. The apostles had a message of eternal life while Dawkins made us ponder suicide. Thanks, Richard. No, I'm just I'm kidding. I don't mean to be too hard on him because, like I said, I wouldn't be back to the faith without people like him um, taking this grandstand against any kind of faith. So, while I commend Dawkins for his honesty, he is actually more foolish than the leaders who created the Tower of Babel or Thomas Jefferson. Um, at least the leaders at Babel and Jefferson were offering something to believe in. The, in, in Genesis, they said, look, here's a tower. Here's a tower. It's a gate to God. See? See? And Jefferson and Franklin offered something too. They were like, look, here's a sacred document, a constitution where we make a nod to God. Oh, and also, look, over there, see the Statue of Liberty? All right, I know that's an anachronism. There was no Statue of Liberty until sometime after 1900, but, you know, Libertas. Uh, that's kind of the, the goddess of America, if you want to call it that, Li Liberty. Um, Dawkins, on the other hand, only offers the abyss. And our brains revolt at the idea of the abyss. We all know the big empty is there, but we don't really want to stand on the edge and look down into it. We can't, not for long. The temptation to believe that Dawkins is right draws us all over to look into the edge, as doubt is often feels more natural to us than faith. Um, it's kind of the, the human condition, you know, to be drawn to both doubt and faith. So even if we dabble in disbelief, most move away from that edge in search of a higher power of some kind, the search for God, for control. And when thwarted or stifled or silenced, um, that search for God erupts on us. It's like boils in strange places and in uncomfortable ways. Um, I can even see in my own life how when I was younger, the idol was sports, the idol was grades, and then the idol was drinking, um, and then the idol was achievements, the idol was work. You know, you're looking in all these places, you're looking in all the wrong places, and finally at some point you're like, what, I'm looking, I, I, and then last, the last place you look, oh, it's God, the thing that, you know, everyone told you your whole life is not real and doesn't matter, it's the only thing that, where you find rest and peace. So we're seeing all these strange religions being born in America now, almost more strange than that of the pagan gods of Babel, or America's traditional worship of the rule of law, or wealth, or that slippery thing called liberty. In fact, I think I, I like the Greek gods because they gave names to all the things I just named off. Like, um, you know, I said sports, but it was like strength. You know, you had Hercules for drinking. There was Dionysus uh, for just straight power. There was Zeus. Um, there was always a, a god or goddess to kind of, we still have all these things. We just don't have cool names for them. So, you know, but they're all about wealth pleasure, power, and honor. That's really what, all, what we're all chasing because we want control, but we really want peace and rest in Jesus and God. So the Tower of, the ba the Tower of Babel or the Constitution may be elaborate ways to justify power, but it is a better attempt at meaning than what Dawkins offered to the masses, what Hitchens and Dawkins and all of them did. Uh, but again, like I said, Dawkins is really the only honest one, which is also why his idea is the most dangerous. He's the anti-Jesus, um, and I don't want to call him the Antichrist because he, he lacks the charisma needed for that, and um, I don't think he's like the Antichrist. Um, that's a whole other topic, so I think he's just a man making an argument. He's selling something, 
and he's doing it. I think he's doing it honestly. Uh, I think a lot of the internet atheists are searching and they're not doing it necessarily, necessarily maliciously. Um, although their comments are unbelievable if you go on websites like Reddit. So anyway, um, but Dawkins tells us that we are purely material beings without souls. He just goes all the way. Now, most people hold back and speak kind of in what I'd call an old common language that dances around this fact. And we find idols and obsessions to occupy or fence off what I call the big empty. Um, Dawkins has spent his life shouting this message. And now we are seeing what fruit it bears where we are, in fact, separated, isolated, solitary beings, kind of like a selfish gene. We're, we're being atomized. We're being separated out. Um, when we are just chemical machines, as he says, we do indeed act like the selfish gene writ large. If we just believe that we're just a chemistry experiment and just happen to be thrown together, um, there just happens to be these 100 elements or so that just happen to form and bonds and, and break and form other things. And um, then, yeah, it's just all random. It doesn't matter. Then do whatever you want. You know, like they said, uh, there were those old bus ads that said, there probably is no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. That that was the that was the deep lesson, um, which is really great because it's so simple and uh, ridiculous. But again, not only is this message the polar opposite of Christ, but it brings the polar opposite result. Where people know Christ, they form communities, families, and fellowship. There is warmth amid the struggle. It's not perfect, but when suffering comes, there is a prayer and a church and a people and the body of Christ. Um, yeah, redemptive suffering, there's no such thing in the world of pure materialism where we're just matter. Um, when we're just matter, nothing matters. Um, Dawkins' inability to get past a small, tiny understanding of God, it leaves him on the playground all alone. And that's what I experienced seeing him in that Portland bookstore. It was just this empty, awful feeling in there. So I guess you could say I was discerning something then, but it took me a while to really put it all together uh, until years later. Now, as we watch millions of community organizations and church groups fading away in America, we are clearly becoming more atomized as people sit at home watching TV alone instead of joining the Lions Club or a bowling team. Um, what is worrisome about this is that uh, er there's been much talk about Hannah Arndt who, who dissected the rise of 1930s totalitarianism um, and said that loneliness, a.k.a. atomization, is a first step toward totalitarianism. Because isolated people without purpose or faith are attracted to a powerful ideology that delivers some kind of meaning. Hence, you see things like the transgender craze. Um, it's not really surprising at all that that's happening. Um, and Dawkins himself has been attacked by that. And this goes very much with this whole the head eats the tail kind of thing, where if you're not in the dominant narrative, you will be eaten by whatever the narrative is that's coming. Um, you can see this happening with like liberalism and humanism. And now we have like postmodernism eating it or, or wokeism is what they're calling it now. Um, and something will eat that soon enough. So, you know, this is there's a, a picture called the Ouroboros. It was a a snake eating its own tail. That's the world of the dog-eat-dog zero-sum game of the um, atheist power-seeking empty material uh, world. But 
it's a long way home back to God out of that. The nice thing is you can just ask, seek, and knock, and you'll be back there. It's it really is. It's it's like uh, being Dorothy. So um, those people are seeking God. It's a long way home, but it doesn't take that long if you're just willing to be willing. You have to be willing to be willing to pray and ask for help, ask for faith. Um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I sympathize with anyone who is who doesn't believe because I was in the same state. I did the same thing. I did it with, like I said, sports, achievements, liquor. Um, those those things are a long way home. We build a lot of walls up around ourselves and we're not willing to try that faith again. In fact, most of us have never tried it. We can't even say we've tried it. We don't even know what it means. We've never read the books of the classic Christianity of the church fathers, the, um, really never read a, uh, an actual Bible, or the Gospels with study notes that are useful. So um, Richard Dawkins, goodbye. This is um, a, a goodbye to you, also to Hitchens and, and company. Um, so to me, in the end, uh, Dawkins' worldview, it made Kurt Cobain or Morrissey, the singer, seem lighthearted. There's nothing I want in that emptiness. I'm back.